When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, today's guest is Dan Estrin, guitarist for the Agora Hills, California rock band, Hoobastank. Dan and I break down the writing, recording, and release of their breakout smash hit, Crawling in the Dark, taken from their 2001 self-titled album. It was great catching up with Dan as it had been some time since we last spoke. He filled me in on the band's drastic change in sound from their first independently released album to their self-titled major label debut. How producer Jim worked was an integral part in shaping the album's overall sound, and in particular, making Crawling in the Dark not only a standout track, but a perfect little three-minute rock radio staple. Dan shares how a lot of people initially mistook the tune as a religious song, which was surprising to hear, as I have never made that connection before. And we've heard this before on Krista Makes a Podcast, but it was cool to find out that Crawling in the Dark was written in the 11th hour, pretty much as the album sessions were wrapping up. For all this and a bunch more, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista Makes a Podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista Makes a Podcast. Dan, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. You know, I was thinking that uh, it was, gosh, probably 20 years ago now. I think you were you were touring behind the self-titled record when we played that crazy show with Green Day, uh, in no doubt, in Manchester, England, at a cricket field. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where the time. I don't know where the times went. It's insane, right? Like we're celebrating the 20-year anniversary of uh, of yeah, our first album. And that had to have been 20 years ago. And we were just, before, you know, you, you hit record, we were briefly talking about it. And it was such a trip, man. You know, I mean, I still am nostalgic. And I still, even though we've been through whatever we've been through, I still feel like a fan of music and bands. And, and so at that time, too, especially, you know, it was like I was so green and new to everything. And like you said, we're out there in this big cricket field in England. And I'm in the VIP backstage area. And I was telling you, I heard all this jingle jangling from behind me, somebody walking through with a bunch of like, what it turned out it was Gwen with jewelry walking through catering, (laughs) heading to stage, but it just sounded like a bunch of like bags of coins hitting each other with all her flair and stuff. And I just remember turning around and seeing her and and what she was wearing that, that day. And which was completely different than what my band would wear. We were just jeans and a t-shirt, you know, but um, (laughs) (laughs) same with us. Yeah. And like, but it was dope. I was like, there she is like there, like that's, the legend is right there walking by, you know, I had seen no doubt play at little clubs in LA. I saw them play at the Troubadour actually in Hollywood, which is like That's awesome. 300 people in like 1995, you know, me and Doug, our lead singer, we, we went and saw that. So yeah, dude, it's just a trip now, 20 years later. Just Yeah. And, and if you remember too, that was about a year and a half before American idiot hit. So green day was supporting no doubt they were playing before them. 
you know, which is just amazing to even think of, of that that whole thing, yeah. you know, where, where, where they went a year and a half later to, to a, you know, a, a well-known arena act to a stadium act. It was a pr- pretty, pretty it's crazy. crazy to me to have conversations with people that didn't know Green Day before Dookie. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and at that time, you know, I was still in high school. And at that time, it was like, at first, the punk rocker kids were like, uh-uh, they're not supposed to be doing this. You know, I remember that at the time, like, <laughs> this is on K-Rock, like, what the fuck? But the songs were dope and they just exploded. But I remember it was this weird thing. They were this underground loved by the underground only. And then they became mainstream. And I'm sure, as you know, when that happens, lots of bands get shit on as if it's their fault and whatever it is. And all the, <laughs> yeah. all they were doing was just continuing to write music like they had previously been doing when you loved it. But now it's on the radio and everyone that you don't like is listening to your favorite band. So now you can't like them anymore. It's just a weird fucking thing, dude. Oh, it's a trip. We've talked about that a ton. I referenced that a bunch of times on the show, the whole sellout thing in the 90s. It's just it's so funny that, that you know, people, kid, kids don't care anymore about any of that. They don't care what label you're on. They don't care if you're wearing a, a, a Gucci jacket in the video. They just don't, you don't, you don't hear that anymore, but it was, it was such a thing back then. And speaking of where the time went and don't take this the wrong way, but I, I can't believe that where the last 20 years have went. I mean, you guys to me still seem like a new band. <laughs> you're, you're, you're anything but that, you know, it's so, I just, yeah. I don't know where the time's went. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know what you're saying when you're, when you're going through it and you're an adult and you're having your own experience like the two of us have had and um you know you're aware of pop culture or what's going on you you're you're watching it, it happen and so it doesn't yeah you're right it does 20 years seems like five years ago it truly does and and for the listeners i want to give a little uh backstory here with hoobastank the band formed in 1994 in agora hills california uh their first full-length self-released album was in 1998 called they sure don't make basketball shorts like they used to which featured a saxophone section it's kind of like funk infused rock and you know dan when i go back to to research these episodes, I'll, you know, I was unaware that you guys made a record before the, the self-titled. And I went back and listened to this album and albeit the sound was completely different, but the record, the record holds up. It sounds pretty good. Well, here's, you know, the, it, you know it's funny talking to you because like the, the horns, you know, it's the horns thing. And like, dude, we started love as a band that it was me and Doug, really me and our singer, we just were pushing forward. And the two of us loved the same bands, but we also loved other bands that, the other one didn't love. And I was way down with fishbone and the skeletons and just whatever was going sure. on out there, you know, but I was also into uh, and Mr. Bungle. And at that time, oh, you yeah. know, if Mr. Bungle had their only their, actually they were on their second record by then, but um, it was just circus shit. It was like funky, heavy, ska, jazz, you know, and that album, what you're talking about is interesting because the, we had two saxophone players in the band at the time. And they were the best musicians by far in the band. They were brought in after us, you know, like me and Doug started the band in, in the mid nineties. And these sax guys were in the, were just bitching jazz players at high school that we were friends with. And um, we were just absorbing and soaking up every piece of music at that time, whether it was, you know, Seattle music or it was ska music or it was funk music or whatever. And we just kind of threw it all into our shit. And so, yeah, that, that album we made, it was demos actually. It was just, demos that we had made over the years compiled into a into a cd then and then put and then put that thing out and it's funny to hear you say that yeah i mean the tones all suck and it's just it is what it is but it there's 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 something captured there it's 
cohesiveness there it's not some crappy uh, first album but i was surprised I, like i said stylistically it, it, it couldn't be uh you know more far removed from, from where you went with the first record which which is amazing that that you were you got signed and that was your sound but you became became what you did uh, uh it's it's really cool the, the evolution of the band but yeah it's hard it, it was hard to evade ska and horns in southern california in the mid to late 90s it was it was everywhere yeah it was and we didn't love straight up ska or reggae or we loved everything and um kind of doing our whatever we were doing at the time with it you know was like i said we had these 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 sax players that were just amazing jazz players so it came off in a i don't know dude just as you listen to it you'll make your you know people will make their own uh judgment of, of what it sounds like the horns sound great on it and as i said a moment ago there, there is a cohesive nature to, to the whole thing but very surprising of where you guys ended up well and that, that's another thing too though it's like so there are elements of songs in on that record that have hoobastank from 2004 in it and it's when you get to the chorus and it's when you if you were you know if you if you take the uh the, the horns out of the chorus or you take the whatever you take all that shit out you're hearing us for a second in there. Yeah, the verses go to this funky, clean, skyish, skanky thing, or whatever. But we inevitably get to a chorus that's heavy as shit, and there's Doug singing his payoff. One hundred percent, it does not sound like the first record, which came out five years later. But yeah, man, like our our sax players, our guy, they were homies of ours from high school. They were out in college. We'd fly them in for certain things. Me, Doug, and the other guys were kind of writing everything, anyways. It just we were a local band. It wasn't working out that way with them. And uh, as much as we love them still to this day, just, we had to move on. Yeah, right on. Well, uh, the band developed a strong following in Southern California, which led to Island Records signing them in 2000. Uh, and the band moved forward without the saxophones. Probably a good move. Uh, the band's self-titled major label debut came out in November of 2001. Uh, the first single from the album, which we'll be breaking down today, is Crawling in the Dark, which was a break through hit. It reached number 68 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 3 on the Modern Rock Chart, number 7 on the Mainstream Rock Chart, and was number 1 on MP3.com download chart in early 2002. A second single from the album, Running Away, was even more successful, reaching number 44 on the Hot 100. The album went platinum based on the strength of these singles and the third single, Remember Me. The album was produced by Jim Wirt, whose resume includes Something Corporate, Alien Ant Farm, and Fiona Apple. The second album, The Reason, was released in December of 2003. It was produced by Howard Benson, which we have a lot of history with Howard, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how much uh, crap talking we want to talk on Howard. It, we love you, Howard. But uh, we, were, we were talking the other day about his, uh, his uh, affection for his sweatpants and Oreo cookies. <laughs> the thing is, is that any shit talking we do about Howard, it's been done in front of Howard. So it's nothing that, it's nothing that uh, is behind his back. Granted, it's behind his back. But if he hears it, he knows. Um, and yeah, dude, Howard is a, he's a trip. He's a, as you know, he's a great human being. And um, he's my neighbor. Uh, we live off, well, one, I'm one exit away from him. But, um, but yeah, man, like uh, I went to his daughter's bat mitzvah. She's now married. So I went when she was. I know, it's crazy. Yeah, dude. So it's like, you know, I, Harley and, and Grady, it's like, they're, I've just known them, the whole family since, since we were all young. 
Yeah, I, it seems like yesterday I, I was playing video games with Grady in the studio. He was like nine or ten years old. Now I see him on Facebook with a mustache. I'm like, again, where did the time go? Yeah, yeah. I was just <laughs> over at Howard's house uh, for a for a party. He had that judge and jury party, and um, hadn't seen. Well, I see him, but I hadn't seen Monica and, and Harley and, and uh, Grady in a minute. But uh, it was cool, dude. Yeah, dude, we go way back with them as you do. And um, you know, it's funny too, man. And you you probably have to chop this out because I. I, the whole bang tango thing right like uh-huh. dude like i so he did that record howard right he did that that first yeah. bang tango record but but i grew up in calabasas where howard lives where i grew up from a year old till i live off the same exit still and those dudes went to calabasas high school and they were much older than me probably about 10 15 years older than me but i knew when that shit came out it was like mom the guitar player of bang tango lives up the street from me like <laughs> next to my best friends like the motherfucker still lives uh, he lives right there at home with his parents and it was it's a uh, mark knight who still lives right down the road from me and no we're not going to chop this out of the episode which less than jake i don't know if you know no this, i know we tour with bank i know we tour with bang tango <laughs> that's why i'm saying it because i saw their <laughs> i saw their movie their documentary oh, okay and then i saw you in there talking about right isn't that you and you're talking about like yeah you, that, that, that was me and yeah. you didn't and it was funny because i'm such a i was such a big fan of that band that I didn't just know who Joe was. I knew who all the members were. And and when I feel like when you watch- How could you forget Kyle Kyle? Dude, they were, I mean, when I was a little <laughs> fucking kid, dude, like I remember walking in the mall, the Topanga Mall near my house here in Woodland Hills as a little kid. And I saw Joe, the singer of Bang Tango, coming down the fucking, oh, yeah. fucking escalator in Nordstrom. And on his arm was Bobby <laughs> Brown, fucking cherry pie. Wow. And I remember just being like, and then fast forward, I saw- her and Janie Lane. We used to see all those guys around her all the time. But um, but yeah, dude, the Bang Tango story, the connection I thought was sick because I know that you were a fan of that album, right? Heck yeah, I love Psycho Cafe. It was a, it was a, gr- a great record. mentioned a moment ago I, I want the listeners to know that uh bang tango's bass player was named kyle kyle it doesn't get much more rad than that yeah <laughs> yeah dude I, I should have went by chris chris maybe my career would have gotten a little bit better i don't know <laughs> anyway so i'm sorry to get off track there but i just know that uh I, when i saw you in there i was like oh this dude's rad he like he fucking gets it dude he, like he likes other shit you know he likes the stuff i like oh dude i was tripping out like like probably two years ago i was out in la and i, I rode up an elevator in a parking garage with bobby blotzer from rat oh, i was like shit. having a moment <laughs> yeah i could hardly like i could hardly muster up uh, the courage to say hello to him which i ended up doing but uh anyhow the the record with howard benson the reason the song's title track was a huge hit reaching number two on the billboard hot 100 and the album reached number three on the billboard 200 album chart and you know dan uh, that was my first thought was to cover the reason on the show, but I just felt, which I lo- think the song's great, huge hit for the band, but I felt there was a little more to talk about with the Crawling in the Dark, a little more indicative of the band's overall sound, so that's what we went with. The band has released four albums since The Reason, Every Man for Himself in 2006, Four and Ever in 2009, Fight of Flight in 2012, and Push Pull in 2018. Hoobastank just recently completed the Summerland Tour, which also featured Everclear, Living Color, and Weedus. What was it like seeing Vernon Reed jam every night? It was amazing. Um, I trolled Vernon on tour so hard every fucking night, dude. Like, <laughs> I got to this point where it was like, I, w- I was just yelling, fuck yeah, Vernon! And he'd look back, and I'd have, like, my shirt up and my nipple out or something like that, and I'd be like, and he would just always be like, oh, what the... He, he, he could tell. He, he loved it, but hated it. Um, 
it was rad, you know, I mean, as a guitar player growing up and remembering when, you know, Cult of Personality came out. Oh, yeah. It was pretty amazing, dude. It was like, there they are. There's the four dudes. I got to watch them every night. Um, got to hang with them. We shared some crew members. So our two, like on days off, cool. on days off, our camps, our buses would just always be together. So if we were at whatever hotel we were at, there's Living Color. Everything was booked together. So we were with them quite a bit and got to know them pretty well. Celebrated birthdays and uh, it was rad, man. That's so cool. You know, and they, they seem like kind of the odd band out. They were like, you know, the tail end of the 80s, early 90s. You guys, uh, Weedus Everclear and uh, and Hoobastank were, were a little bit later. But I talked to Brendan from Weedus. I had him on the show recently, and he told me that the tour just went off without a hitch. It was so awesome. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. It was so cool. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's probably, it, had we not all been locked up for a year or whatever it was, maybe things would have been different, but I don't know. It, it was the, the vibe, the camaraderie between all the bands, the crews. It was just dope. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, dude, it's living color, man. Those guys were, were busting our balls like every night. Like you guys got to come up on stage and jam this Rolling Stones, you know, song bitch with us. And we're like, fuck, okay. I don't know. I don't know. But we finally did it. And it was so much fun. It was, we were just nervous, you know, but we did it. And, and to be up there playing with these guys that like, I'm watching on MTV as a kid and watching, you know, Corey Glover in his fucking body gloves wetsuit as he's singing yeah. <laughs> and then watching Vernon Reed in his motorcycle. Cause as a kid, he's wearing in the video AXO motocross gear is what he's wearing. And as a kid, I rode motocross. So I'm as a little kid, I'm watching this going, that's uncomfortable as shit. I know. Cause I wear that stuff on a dirt bike. What the fuck is he doing wearing that on stage 20 years later, half 30 years later, I'm on tour with him. And I finally asked him like straight up, me and him just hanging there like, how the hell did you come across AXO motocross gear for your fucking video and your shit? And like, he told me, he's like, he said he was in a thrift store. They were traveling or something like that. He was in a thrift store and he saw it there. And he was looking at that point for something to, for wardrobe, or as you may know, when you're, yeah. in, when you're in a band trying to stand out or whatever it is, I've done stupid shit with hair, you know, and like, <laughs> fuck, you know, you guilty, the, right. You look back and you see, and I think that it was one of those things that it was like, Oh, okay. And so he just, yeah, it was very interesting to be able to have a, have an adult conversation with somebody that, uh, from something 30 years ago that I was like blown away by, you know, but talk just as, 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 as friends. It was cool. That is so awesome. Well, we're going to jump into crawling in the dark. Now, uh, the song is two minutes and 55 seconds. And the first note, Dan, that I have on this track is there is no fat on this tune anywhere. There's no fat. Yeah, there's no fat. There's not one part that I went, you know, that might have been able to be be chopped there. Or why is that there? It's just every part needs to be there. And it's it's like the, the perfect pop song, man. Well, I think that's because we went under three minutes. Had we gone three minutes, you would have found some fat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's I don't know if I've ever said uh, that on the show. I've been doing doing the show for over a year and a half now. And uh, yeah, there's just there's no fat to be, be trimmed in this thing. The uh, the intro goes uh, for eight seconds. There's this cool, clean guitar intro. <laughs> So 
sounds like a, a phaser pedal, maybe some delay on, on that. You know, it, it does sound like that. And, and I don't think it's a phaser. Actually, I really remember working with a like an MXR flanger. Believe, oh, okay. believe it or not. I had flanger written down and scratched out. Well, but the, th- but the thing is, is that so I've been trying to model a pedal to get that sound. And I cannot get it with a flanger. I never have. I've only been able to get it with a phaser. And everybody that hears it, my guitar techs, everybody, because I have them help me with it. They're like, no, yeah. it sounds like a phaser. So I, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mocked up a phaser sound for it. Um, I feel like I remember a lot of that record because it was our first. And I just wasn't jaded yet. You know, <laughs> like I just uh, things were were just fresh and new. And I, I remember it being like an old vintage MXR phaser that Jim Wirt, the producer, had. And just kind of dialing it in with a little, a little bit of delay. But fuck, man, I don't know. I mean, it was twenty years ago, dude. Like, I really don't. <laughs> I'm surprised you remember that much. Well, I also have a lot of video. <laughs> I have a lot of home video of us in there. Like, uh, a buddy of mine was filming a lot with my video camera, and so there's footage of stuff. There's not footage of me like dialing in the pedal, but there's footage yeah, of yeah. me playing and recording that riff, like the intro riff to the song, and having a conversation about it. That's really cool. Um, at nine seconds, there is four tom hits on the drums and bass guitar, followed by a, this is exactly how I wrote it here, Dan, followed by a crack a crack a bum on the drums. And then the whole band is in with this big stereo guitars are playing the rhythm and the chords of the first two lines of the chorus. <laughs> I will dedicate and sacrifice my everything for just a second's worth of how my story's ending. And I wish I could know if the directions that I take and all the choices that I make won't end up all for nothing. What's happening there? <laughs> well, I can only speak I can only speak so much about the lyrics I didn't write them. It's you know, that's Doug. Um, but uh what's funny is that Doug is far from a religious person as you could possibly meet. But so many people thought that was like a, uh, a Christian or religious uh, song. And we got a lot of that in the beginning. Like, are you guys a Christian band? And nothing against that if you are or you're not, whatever. We love, like I said earlier, I love Christian music. I love uh, Indian music, whatever. I love everything. But it wasn't. And it's, I don't know. I don't know, Doug. I don't know. I, it's funny because I never really sat with him. and been like, what is this? What is this? Because a lot of the times his lyric writing were thoughts that were just possibly random thoughts or at times driving in a van from the airport to the hotel. Well, that's what I was going to ask. That's what I was going to ask. Do you ever remember Doug having like journals that he kept or do you remember him like frantically writing a a second verse in the studio to this or was the song demoed and kind of done when you took it in? Do you, do you recall? Yeah, this song was the last song written for the record that was our first record. And it's so interesting because we, we signed a record deal without, this song ever existing and without running away we didn't get the record deal with the two songs that ended up being the biggest songs for us on the record it's that's crazy so weird that's right crazy the three songs yeah. the three songs are the five so yeah there's a song called uh hello again ready for you up and gone let you know and pieces those are the five songs that we had 
that got us the record deal. Hey, don't run away. There's lots more with Dan Estrin after a few words from our sponsors. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to the show. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It's like, you know, as a, as a musician, you come up with these ideas, you'll pick up your guitar and you'll have an idea. And back then, like, like I would grab my phone now and record a riff on my, uh, on my memo, my voice memos back then I'd call my, I'd actually call my house and, and <laughs> wait, wait, till Poor the, man's voice memo. Yeah. Wait till the answer machine went and like, um, and then I play the riff or whatever. And I did have that riff. I had that. I had just had that, you know, a little bit of it that I had recorded onto my answering machine. So we signed the record deal. We are in pre-production, like, Running Away had been written at this point, but Crawling in the Dark was still not a song. We were one day away from, from going into that and, and recording the record. So as you know, pre-production is two weeks or whatever it was before yeah. starting the album. And I don't know, just maybe for your listeners, whatever. But um, yeah, so we were in there for two weeks in a studio with the producer, chopping songs up. This part's unnecessary. Maybe this, you know, we don't need this. We don't, whatever it is. We're starting... You know, the, we got to go into the real studio now and begin drums at the village in Santa Monica on this date. And this date was like two days later. I happened to go into the studio that night by myself. I had the keys to the studio and I went in to go dial in my amp a little bit. And when I went there, I started kind of playing the riff a little bit more. And I think I either had my four track or I had like a, a little digital recorder of some sort, a Roland or something like that. And I just started demoing it. And like I did everything, I started like I would do all of our songs with my um, Alesis SR16 or some shit. Oh, like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. um, it's funny because Brendan from Weedus, I saw his Vice episode the other day, and he's doing something on it. I'm like, dude, that's the same thing I did the reason and Crawling in the Dark and all these songs on. But um, <laughs> but so, yeah, I started demoing it with everything. I would I did everything. I played the guitar, the bass, the the play, program, the drums, and um, went home that night, got home pretty late was pretty stoked or some shit. I don't remember. And then anyways, had to go back to the studio the next morning and meet the rest of the band there without the producer go. And I start playing it from like, check this out. I play him this, 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 this new idea, Doug gravitated towards it right away and had these ideas. And he said, okay, okay, you guys go into the, go into the room. And so we went into the live room, Doug stayed in the control room behind the window and guided us a little bit. The song had a different chorus at the time. I had, there, there, there was another, there was fat at, to the song at one point, and it was a different chorus. <laughs> Didn't go into what is now the chorus. It went into a, it, it was a new part. And I've tried for years to find the demo of it, and I can't fucking find it. But because um, I'm curious what it sounded like, I don't remember. But uh, Doug had this idea. He's just basically like, no, 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 no. Why don't you go from your verse, which, which was the verse, to what became the chorus, which was a little part in the song, anyways? Like it was the intro, you know? Uh huh. 
he kind of guided us in that way. And he goes, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to sing my verse at this register, which was, you know, the I will dedicate, whatever, you know. And then when he goes to the, he just knew in his head, he goes, and I'm just going to fucking belt it an octave higher in the chorus, yeah. which he does. But then we change a chord or two here or something. We, I forget exactly what, I don't have the guitar in my lap, but like, um, dude, it was quick. It was one of the quickest things that we have ever done as a band. And I feel like that's probably when the magic happens, you know, I'll be a broken record here again. I can't tell you how many times I've said it on this show. Uh, we hear that Th- this song was a, a last minute addition or, or, or this song was almost left on the cutting room floor. We wrote it in five minutes and here it becomes a, a signature song of the band. And that guitar riff is, is such a hook. And you know, when I, when I research these episodes, I always make sure to go and look at it at, at live renditions of the song because a lot of times bands will change the keys and do different arrangements and and it's interesting to me every video i saw and i looked at a bunch of them when you start that riff the audience loses their mind they just know you know and that's such a cool thing about having a a guitar hook like that to start it start a tune yeah you know i never i never um planned it that way but trust me like what you said became a thought after the fact probably the most beautiful part about music is before all this shit starts to come in your head, you know, because after that, I started to write music with that in mind. I started to go, ha, huh. it became a little bit more formulaic or calculated, you know, and, but, but to be honest with you, I, I, I'm sure that that shit happened with a million other bands too, that were extremely successful. And, um, you know, I, I knew in my head, I wanted to start a song with drums. I wanted a drum beat to start a song because I wanted to, I saw more than just the song on the record. I saw the the live show. And I saw if that song becomes well-known, you could extend that part. You could start a song and really just drag it out, you know, and Chris, our drummer could be doing that drum beat. That's a from, and people are going to know what's about to happen because they know the drum beat. Meanwhile, Doug Mm -hmm. is talking to the crowd, getting the crowd into it. It's just like, okay, the hair's going up on my arms. It's anticipation. So I would go into songs like that when I'd be sitting at home because I, I play everything. And when I'm writing music, I write with everything. I'd get on the drums and I'd be like, all right, what am I going to do here? Like, uh, and I wrote a song called just one, which is on the reason record starts with simple kick and kick and snare, but flams, you know, like black, 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 black. To me, I'm like, Okay, that's dope. So when we play that shit live, he could just fucking do that thing while I'm changing guitars and I'll come in when I come in, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, music did become a lot more uh, formulaic later, thinking about what you had just said, uh, which is not what I thought writing the song. Yeah, it, it, and it's so hard to go back to that innocence as a songwriter. I wish I could sometimes. I overthink and I cook things too long sometimes. And it's uh, it's interesting when you when you didn't have <laughs> all that in your head when you were when you were young and you kind of still didn't know what you were doing. You know, it's interesting that there's an intro clean guitar comes in at the top of this verse. Bass and drums are holding down a great groove. On the third line, there's some feedback. It's like the right speaker to the left, back to the right to the left. And I wish I could know. Was that natural created? Do you, do you recall? I do. Yeah. Um, I don't, and listening back to it and, and trying to get into my head now, as you know, from back then, I'm like, the fuck was I thinking, you know, like why, <laughs> <You weren't. laughs> why did I start doing that? Why did I, and, and it was more about just production and, and overdubs. And I was very, aware of what I wanted at that time. And the next two records after that as well, you know, the reason record and every man for himself, those 
all those records, I was just, I knew what I wanted for the most part. I knew a lot of the, you know, the, the pedals I'd be using. I knew the pickups I'd be using. So yeah. And I do remember kind of standing there in the control room while the song was playing and just kind of, I think I had my hand on the, on the root note of the chord and was just kind of like leaning into the, uh, just leaning into the speakers so I can get the natural feedback. I don't think I went, I mean, every once in a while when we want to do stuff like that, I'd go into the live room so you could just really turn it up and get it straight out of the oh, app, yeah. you know? But I think for that one, I feel like I just was in there just kind of up against his little NS tens or whatever it was with my guitar yeah, feeding back. Yeah. And there's another part too, where I do like a harmonic and, and it's weird because I, I, I don't know if I would do that today. And for the listeners, uh, NS10s are, are uh, very common studio speakers that Dan was referring to there with the feedback. And I love that part. Again, another hook. That, that, that is, it's a small hook, but it needs to be there in this song. I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't take that out. On the last uh, lyric here, nothing. On nothing, those big stereo guitars come back in to start chorus one. Already in chorus one at 42 seconds. That happens really quick. Uh, and I love the back and forth here with the drums of the chorus. Uh, I'm going to read through the lyrics here. Show me what it's for. Make me understand it. I've been crawling in the dark looking for the answer. Is there something more than what I've been handed? I've been crawling in the dark looking for an answer. And I wrote up here that this is a single chorus, but it feels like a double chorus because there's like a back half to it, you know. Uh, but but it's not. It's just a single chorus. The drums continue the verse beat but get heavier there's like the open hi-hat comes in there's some big fills here on the first two lines the second two lines the drums go double time then they come back on lines four and five drums go half time again and then the last two lines they go back fast and i love on the last two lines that's where we hear the first vocal harmonies in the song there's these cool low harmonies here uh do you recall that was was that on the demo or was that something that that uh uh producer jim word had a hand in that was definitely uh, something jim had a hand in because the demo actually i don't think the demo had vocals on it it didn't have vocals the demo was just all the music and then doug would take that and listen to it and kind of right and whatever and it, it just happened so quick that he never sang anything over it but um one thing about doug though he was always and is still to this day extremely into harmonies and shit and and um all that ear candy stuff and you know one of his biggest inspirations ever was mike Patton. and mike Patton, you know in the faith and more stuff or mr bump he's just he's a, his vocals are just insane you know and the harmonies were insane and jim was extremely helpful in guiding us and, and teaching us approaches. Yeah, Doug always had ideas and always had harmonies. I don't remember whose idea that was, but I do remember that song and working on things and having the conversation. Well, should the harmonies come in the first chorus or should we wait until the second chorus? What are we going to do <laughs> here? And actually, wait, maybe that might have been another song on the record. I can't. There's another song called ready for you well there's a good chance it was this song because there is more harmonies in the second chorus i love how that builds and i love how subtle this first harmony is in chorus one on those two lines i've been crawling in the dark looking for the answer it's very it's almost buried you know i had to like it's lower right 
It's like he goes, yeah, show me what it's for, make me un- the, I, the, the, I've been crawling in the dark, looking exactly. for it's the, the answer. Is there something more than what? Yeah, he, he just load, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it almost sounds buried. I had I had listened to it a bunch, and, and I almost thought, like, wait, is the is the vocal just double track? No, that is a harmony there. It's it, it's really cool. Right out of chorus one, there's no reintro. We're right into verse two. <laughs> Help me carry on. Show me it's okay to use my heart and not my eyes to navigate the darkness. Will the ending be ever coming suddenly? I told you it's like there's there's no there's no fat to be trimmed here. Verse two, the first four lines rhythmically as a band are like verse one, uh, and we'll get to the last two lines musically in a second. But the, the lyric is "Help me carry on, assure me it's okay to use my heart and not my eyes to navigate the darkness. Will the ending be ever coming suddenly? Will I ever get to see the ending to my story? You know, I, I'm not picking up on any uh, re- religious undertones here, uh, lyrically. And I, I guess everybody can, uh, you know, uh, music and, and lyrics are so subjective, but that's interesting that that, that fans and people uh, that listen to the band thought that. Yeah, I, you know, what I'm hearing, to be honest with you, is a young 20-year-old guy that has no fucking idea what's ahead of him, understandably, because if you know Doug and you, and you knew Doug back then or you knew Doug, you knew Doug in high school, you would have never pointed at that guy and been like, that's going to be the dude to be the lead singer of a band that does well. He just wasn't that guy. He was not a dick. He was just quiet and he just kind of flew under the radars and he was a sweet guy. You know, I don't think that he ever saw himself to be this guy. I don't, he's a, he's not Vernon Reed from living color on one of the shows that we did. Like after we played, like we fucking killed it. The, the, the crowd was great. We were great on stage. So just, you know, when you walk up, you just feel so good about shit. Vernon Reed just laughing at us. He's like, not at us, but he's like, dude, walks up to Doug right off the show. He goes, man, you're like the anti-lead singer. <laughs> and it was just funny because that's what <laughs> it's like. So anti-lead. Which is actually a compliment, but it and could be construed no, as not. No, dude, we were fucking <laughs> stoked. Doug was like, thanks, Vernon. He's like, that's rad because that's so true. It's. So yeah, he's the anti-lead singer. He's he never thought he was going to be this this guy that was whoever he was whenever he was and he doesn't. He's he's a dad. He's a he's a, he's a fucking soccer coach, a baseball coach. That's his life, you know, unless we're touring and we're doing shit. So sometimes I think the two of us forget what we do. Sometimes we're like, "Oh, that's right. Yeah." <laughs> but um but I, but what I think was he was in his early 20s right there going like, "Fuck me, man. I signed a record deal. Like I I'm not I it wasn't me who did it, Dan. I wasn't the one that was like come on, we're doing this. But it was me who was, come on, let's fucking do this. He wouldn't have done it on his own. You know, I was just the, that's interesting. I was just the idiot, just like blind and going, I don't give a fuck, man. We're going. And like, you can sing, let's go. And he was supposed to go to school, dude. He was supposed to be a good student and on, on, he was on the fucking honor roll or the Dean's list and shit like that. And then we just started, (laughs) we just started ditching school. So (laughs) you you drag, you dragged your buddy to the dark side, Dan, congratulations. So he's searching yeah, I just think that he's just, what the hell am I dealing with? Wow, you know? That's cool. Well, I love the last two lines here. Will the ending be ever coming suddenly? Will I ever get to see the ending of my story? On that line, will the ending be ever coming suddenly? There's a droney guitar layer that comes in underneath this line. It's killer. It gives tension. You 
recall uh, building that part in the studio? I think it's a harmonic is what it is. I think I'm just on. Okay. I think I, I'd have to listen to that part right now. Um, but uh, are you talking about where the, the will the ending be ever coming suddenly? I'm doing like yeah, a, yeah. I'm doing a harmonic. I'm pretty sure at that spot. I'm just on like the the low E string. Just ooh, ooh, ooh. I think or was that on the first verse? I can't think right the second. Um, but that's possibly what it is. What the fuck's the last line, dude? Sorry, I just woke up, man. So I can't think for shit. <laughs> well, because, well, well, I, I need to stop waking. I need to stop waking guys in rock bands up before they need to get up. But you're on the East Coast, right? It's like three hours ahead for you, so I get it. <laughs> but, but that's not your fault, Dan. I know, that's I know. not your fault. Uh, yeah, the last line is, "Will I ever get to see the ending to my story?" Right. And so it goes, "The ending to my story," and I do this like, "Zoom, gaga, gum." I, I, I hit the the E is what it's in. I, I, I accent that a little bit harder at that spot that I do than I do in the first verse. But there is something going on there, and it's possibly there's a harmonic of some sort that I'm doing just kind of through it. I use the the, the term "drony" there. It's just kind of this cool underlying layer. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, and on that on that last lyric ending to my story, you can really hear the double unison vocal on this line, and it just lifts there before chorus two. Again, the lyric on chorus two is show me what it's for. Make me understand it. I've been crawling in the dark looking for the answer. Is there something more than what I've been handed? I've been crawling in the dark looking for an answer. Now, on line three and four here, five, six, and seven, there's harmonies throughout. Why just on those lines? Do you recall? Is that something, again, that, that, that Jim was working or, or was Doug kind of thinking, okay, it's chorus two. We're building here. I want to stick some more harmonies because they're really well placed. Uh, but that was probably Jim. I mean... I, I got to give him credit because he's basically was our first school teacher, you know, as a band. Had that been a Howard album, I, I, as much as, you know, Howard is a vocal producer, I would have said that was Doug because at that point, Doug was just, Doug went in. Uh, I mean, I could play you demos, you know, one day and, and, and you'll hear, and the demos were done by just Doug and I, and you'll hear his harmonies and both of our production going into it was, was already there. But before that, yeah, when we were teens, when we were kids, we we got picked up by Jim Wirt because he saw potential in us as a band. We were horseshit at that time. I mean, not really. We were okay. We had some songs on that Basketball Shorts record that were cool, and then some songs that we cringe at if we hear them. But he was just kind of guiding us and developing us. We didn't really know much about what was going on. He was trimming the fat of us in, 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 in developing us. And so at that time, yeah, he was very... I had these ideas for vocals and he was, all that shit was recorded to tape. Also, it wasn't Pro Tools. We did use Pro Tools on that first record a little bit, but it was brand new and it was recorded to tape, dumped into Pro Tools, yeah. dumped, dumped back to tape um, and then mixed on tape. Do you recall if there was any, was there any uh, vocal tuning in Pro Tools at that point? There was or what, none. What, that record has, there was not. And that trips me out, dude. I go after that record, everything was tuned. Of course. <laughs> Towered. Yeah. But, uh, no, there was no fucking tuning. There was, I don't know. I guess they, they must've had that, right? It was 2000. It was, it was the year 2000. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we were using, we were using pro tools to tune stuff a couple years prior to that, but uh, we were also the Guinea pigs uh, through Howard Benson. We were one of the first pro tools record. I think it was like us and Alanis Morissette and Howard was, uh, we were his Guinea pigs, but that's crazy that, that, that this was to tape for the most part. But, um, at the end of this chorus, it's Doug by himself looking for the answer. Does he say like, 
answer here or is it answerer? Like he kind of holds on. I don't. I don't know. On, on all the lyrics I find online, it doesn't say answer here, but it's like looking for the answer. He's just saying looking for the answer. That's all he's saying. He's not saying looking for the answer here. It's simply just looking for the answer. He's just pushing that that syllable at the end right there. It's it's still this looking for the answer. Gotcha. And then he pushes a little harder, so it's not. Yeah. Well, we we go in here to what I'm calling the post-chorus jam. I'm not gonna I, I, I'm not gonna call this the bridge. The bridge comes in in a moment. Love this part it goes right into it again there's there's no like interlude part it just goes right into this and i call this the helmet part were you ever into helmet yeah i was i actually yeah. I, I do like helmet but i i don't remember thinking of helmet at that time i don't remember honestly it's funny because i have i have memories of living at home right i'm living at my mom's house at this time and i'm in my bedroom and we had a computer and it was fuck it, it had to have been early early 2000 because the record came out it was right at the beginning of us having a computer and like it was probably 99 and AOL and all that shit. And I just remember sitting up against the computer's desk with my feet up on it, kind of pushing back with, uh, with my guitar. And I wasn't recording into the computer at that time because I couldn't do that at that time. I was just playing guitar yeah. sitting there. And that's where I came up with the bridge. The I came up with that there. And I just don't know what I was listening to at that time. I don't know. I mean, Helmet, Doug loved Helmet. Well, this part is such a departure. It's so cool because nothing else in the song sounds like this. These staccato stereo guitar rhythms, the dun-dun, dun-dun. It's just, it's really cool. And then there's a lyric here, uh, so when and how will I know? And there's a delay on no, 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 no. That goes uh, for two measures. And on the third and fourth measure, uh, this background guitar is layered underneath, playing these like cool palm-muted overtones and harmonics. I love that part at the at, at the end of the bridge. Do you recall how, how that came about? And, and again, was that in the demo or something that you were creating in the studio with Jim? That was created in the studio with Jim. But real fast, I think that the bridge, like how you're saying how it goes into that staccato-ish, the gagang, gagang, mm-hmm. that part is just E, F, e, F sharp or some shit like that, gagang. And then I go into a D, you know, for the how much for it, and there's this payoff. Yes. is not going to ever want to hear that Hoobastank was influenced by Tool because they probably can't fucking stand us, but I don't give a shit. So that actually, um, so Tool is, no, I don't want to say Tool's responsible, but like, you know, Tool has had this shit in their songs where there was these bridges that would have a piece that it'd go into a bridge or post-chorus or whatever it was. And then this anthemic big fucking bridge where that was, the model i'm not saying we sound like tool or we want to sound like tool or anything tool 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 tool. but yeah that was also probably in our wheelhouse at the time like let's get we're doing this thing and then when it hits that d it's like like a tool bridge where it hits that chord and now he's fucking singing his melody and the tension's yes. gone 
yeah, dude. So if you're hating on us, just hate on Tool first. It's their fault. <laughs> Maynard, it's your fault. Um, um, no, no, and, wait, but, uh, <laughs> but you, you, you have, so the, what you're talking about, the end of the bridge right there, it, yeah, I'm playing like the, how much further do I have to go? Whatever, the, the playing these chords. And then there's like, on top of it or underneath it, it's octaves. And I'm literally just going, you know, a harmony of the, doing little things like that, you know, and then it works its way up the neck to the in front of me, you know? Yeah, so it was a conscious thing that I did in the studio. I didn't do that in the demo that I recall. Well, as you're working with a producer, as you know, or an engineer, and they have ideas, they're like, it needs something, it needs something here, it needs something, it needs ear candy here. And we, it was our first time making a real record, so we were just being guided, or I would have ideas to try things. So it was a, it was a bit of the producer, Jim Wirt, saying, man, it needs this here, and or me just having an idea already, you know? That's awesome. Well... I'm calling that the post-chorus. Then we get into the bridge, and the lyric is, how much further do I have to go? And there's a backing vocal response, have to go. How much longer until I finally know? And again, uh, finally know. And there's a killer high holdout note. Finally know. Yeah, it goes, it goes yeah. up there. It's awesome. Because I'm looking, and I just can't see what's in front of me in front of me and there's a harmony on just can't see what's in front of me i love that part and then he really reaches for in front of me and you know chorus three is going to happen no fat no reintro part goes right into chorus three and uh it breaks down here to just that intro clean guitar again with drums Dun, 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 dun. The four hits from the top uh, beginning of the song happen again. And I wrote here in my notes that drums can be a hook in many instances. And that, that to me, those four Tom hits right there are a hook harking back to the beginning of the song. And I know you see those. I watched the live videos. Those fists go in the air when, that, when those Toms happen. It's so cool. Or it's like somebody driving their car. It's like, and, uh, boom, 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 boom. you know, it's those little air drums. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, we've, we've all done it to In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins <laughs> and um, Jack and Diane by Mellencamp. Drums can be a hook. Um, but yeah, it, it breaks down here. Show me what it's for. Make me understand it. And on that second line, a guitar swell happens before the next line. The band is back in. I've been crawling in the dark, looking for the answer. Is there something more than what I've been handed? I've been crawling in the dark, looking for the answer. And there's harmonies on the third line of the chorus and on all the lines after that till the end of the song. A lot of stuff going on here. Uh, there's no double chorus in the song. Again, they're all single choruses. Kind of feels like a double because it's a long chorus. There's no double. Did Jim Word or the band ever discuss, hey, we should probably double this chorus at the end or, or not? Yeah, I'm sure that that came up at some point. I don't remember exactly, but it's very possible, you know, because you said that the song is under three minutes. But we also knew at that point, too, like, if we're going to add anything to this, it's going to be well over three minutes. And we don't want to do that. And it's, it's just a trip, you know. Honestly, like I haven't dissected the song this way and having you dissected this way. It's just like, I'm like listening to you and I'm thinking back to it and going, fuck man. Like there's certain, 
there's a certain things that just happen. I'll be honest with you. I'm surprised that artists, yourself included, remember as much as they do. And I'm like that. I can take once I really get my mindset and I, I can get back and I'm sure you can, too. You can you can smell the studio and you can you know see the, the producer. You can envision him with his feet up on the soundboard and you go right back to that time. And I'm I'm really amazed at what people can can recall. You, you know, it's been 20 plus years since you recorded this record. Yeah. A lot of these things that that you pull out and say and you're you're quoting or whatever it is or these little things that I'm like, fuck, man, like, I guess I'm at a point right now where I, I don't know, feel a little bit more humble or I feel proud of what we did on that song and, and other songs as well. But when I but fuck, yeah, because I, I was young, dude, I was 22 or 23 years old at that time. <laughs> and I'm going like, I'm like, how the fuck did we do that? Like, how did we do that at that at that age? You should be proud. And I'll tell you. Since, you know, the last 20 years, you know, when everything went digital with Pro Tools and just the, the way mastering and everything is, I'm getting some records on here, this one included, that just don't, it only sounds dated to me because I know how old it is. It doesn't sound dated from production-wise. This thing is just slamming. Yeah. You know, I cranked it up in my car the other day. I, I always do it. I always give the car test to this day. I was driving to, to, to pick up my kids from school and I cranked it in the car and I'm like, Damn, it just say it 20 over 20 years old. It's your first record. You should be proud. It sounds awesome, Dan. Well, what's funny is like as I listen, because we've had to get back into this record to play it because of the 20 year anniversary. And so I was with the guys and I'm like, dude, I've been listening to the record, rehearsing to it and stuff. And it's insane. The mix. Right. And, you know, mixes of records. And it's like the loudest fucking thing on the mix of that record goes guitar, vocals, drums, bass. The guitars are the loudest thing by, by, by far. And I'm listening to it today going like, fuck, that's loud, dude. That's just so obnoxiously loud. I dig it. But <laughs> where's the bass? The vocals are underneath. They're not like Howard records changed. Once we started working with Howard, things started changing. And mixed. Uh, he's a vocal. He's a vocal guy. Right. That's what right. he's all about. But yeah. also, too, dude, you just said something about Pro Tools and digital and recording that way. And I've been talking to somebody about I think that. As, as amazing as it is that we have both and we're able to see the wave files, I think that the minute that it went to this, like, oh, now I'm just looking at a fucking wave file and not just using just this. Yeah, using just your ears. It's like a dog. A dog is intuitive and has heightened senses because they can only use certain senses. Therefore, their ears and their sight and whatever it is, is they're intuitive. And they, and they rely on that a lot more. The minute that this fucking shit came out that we could see that like, oh my God, the kick is like behind the grid or whatever. And then you get Paul DeCarly and they're fucking putting everything <laughs> to his meter. Everything sounds the same after a while, dude. Like I get it. I don't, cause when you say dated, things sound dated. When I listen to our reason record, it sounds dated. It, to me, I go, it sounds fucking dated. Um, I love that particular song and, and I love the songs, but that it just was different, dude. The minute that you can start seeing that, oh, Look, Plotnikov's looking at me. Look, look, you're behind right here. I'm like, yeah, well, that shit didn't exist 20 years ago, and you had to fucking use this. Let's go back to yeah. this, dude. I'm upstairs mm -hmm. working on your dude. You're in front of a computer right there. You're probably recording shit all day long on Logic or Pro Tools, seeing the exact same thing, you know? Oh, I just wanted to say for the listeners, you know, what, what Dan is referring to, and I do this all the time. I'll do a harmony, and I'll look on that track, and I'll see that the harmony, the, the, the wavelength, the waveform is not as long as the melody. And I go, ah. But then I listen and I close my eyes. I listen with my ears and I go, but it sounds great. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't need to be perfect. And that's a hard line. That's, that's, hard, that's hard to get away, away from, but I completely understand that. You know, the last 10 seconds of the song goes back to the heavy intro groove for two measures. And then the song just ends abruptly. 
and and there's your two minutes and fifty five seconds, which again, perfect length for a a, a pop rock tune, and and uh, and this song's great, man. I appreciate it, dude. Thank you very much. Uh, it's old as dirt now, so. <laughs> It is. And, 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 but again, congratulations on, on all your success celebrating 20 year anniversary of the self-titled record. And, uh, before we go here, uh, please let the listeners know what's going on with you and, and Hoobastank, uh, uh, coming up. Well, um, you know, it's funny cause I should just, at this moment, we don't have shit coming up. So what I like to do at this moment is just tell people we're touring with other bands that we're really not touring with. So then maybe <laughs> those bands, yeah, we're going out with like Metallica and, um, no, no, but, uh, <laughs> we're just uh, hanging right now at home. We have some some shows here and there. We're just trying, dude. We just want to get back out. You know, twenty twenty one of the summer was our first time back out touring in a while, and it was such a great experience and a great time that our our plan is to just do shows and hopefully figure out some type of a package thing with some other bands and get back out there. And you know, if you guys want to tour, dude, we are so open to touring with whoever. Seriously, dude, I actually like that too. I like the thing that we did on the Everclear weedest living color thing to me when we're all out there i go it makes sense we all fucking make sense it makes sense but to some people they're like that doesn't make sense and i'm like good i like that i like that it's somewhat different that band sounds like this that band sounds like this that band sounds like this but when we all get out there we're gonna fucking slap you in the face like we just want to walk out there and fucking kill it and pe- see people smile have a good time and 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 leave so that's what our goal is for 2022 is to play more shows get in people's faces and See what happens. Right on, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, for sitting in with us today. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. Don't go in a different direction now. There's a whole lot more Chris to Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, if you need a unique, thoughtful, and inexpensive gift for a friend or loved one, check out iloveenamelpins.com. Make someone's day by giving them a little present to show you care. Over 80 different pins are available, everything from cats and dogs to your favorite celebrities. And to top it off, you can use the discount code ChrisDemakes at checkout to save 30% on your order. iloveenamelpins.com. Give them something to wear that shows that you care. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is the Central Pennsylvania band Owned by Assholes. This is old school punk rock, snotty, brash, loud and fast. Their most recent EP is called American Suicide. And here's a snippet of their song, Heaven's Chimney. The Rap with Chris.
Chris and Chris. All right, man. So you got a California guy up early out of bed for this episode. <laughs> I could tell. And then you're asking him questions about a song from decades ago. <laughs> yeah. What a way to what a way to wake up. Yeah. Don't mind me. I've been awake for six hours here on the East Coast. Right. But I think it was a great episode. <laughs> Speaking of being sleepy, I think you kind of caught him off guard when you said there's really no fat on this song. And he's like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> but I knew what you meant. You meant that this is a perfectly concise no extraneous parts it is to the point and it is the formula for a hit rock song yeah i think a lot of times you could listen to even hit songs songs that are massively popular and go yeah you know it would have been the same song probably would have done just as well without that part in this particular track man there's no fat it's just every piece here i think needs to be there yeah you couldn't really cut anything from this song Mm -mm. no (laughs) it would sound like a part of a song rather than a whole song if you did that but that's great i thought the episode was great i thought dan was really funny i thought it was crazy i had never listened to hoobastank's first album before and that is a drastic change (laughs) in sound but like you said they they did have a cool sound there were horns involved they had more of like a a funky feel to them they had some ska parts they it, it felt to me just as in my experience the same sort of way they had a lot of influences, but didn't know what to focus on. Yeah, and it's interesting where their sound ended up. It, it couldn't be more removed from what that first album was. And again, as far as the demo first album goes, uh, it sounds great. I agree. It didn't really have a, a one direction with it, as you just mentioned, but uh, it sounded really good. Uh, where they ended up on the next record was, was just light years away, though. It was really surprising. Yeah, I'm really glad that you guys did Crawling in the Dark as your pick because this is my favorite song by Hoobastank. I especially love the chorus and how it goes back and forth rhythmically but between the halftime and the picked up. It's great. It's awesome. Such a good, catchy, powerful chorus. Yeah, and I'm sure there's other songs that do that. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I, I think that's what makes that that chorus work. It's really interesting. You, you would think that, uh, no, you'd want to keep a chorus all halftime or you know all upbeat, and it go, going back and forth is, uh, I think, what adds the charm to the song. I thought it was funny, and I never would have thought of this, but... Dan talked about how people thought there was some sort of religious aspect to the lyrics of this song. And then I was like, why would people necessarily think that? And I figured it out. It's because the word sacrifice is used in the verse. (laughs) And hey, religious people, you don't have full claim to the word sacrifice. Non-religious people can use the word sacrifice too. Yeah. That's what I figured out. I was surprised (laughs) to hear that as well. I don't really pick up any religious overtones or anything with, with this track. I also thought it was really cool. And I never thought it's before you said it, Chris, but the second you said it, I'm like, oh my God, it does. That the bridge kind of reminded you of Helmet. And Helmet has a song called Unsung, which I'm going to play a clip of. Helmet was always cool rhythmically, but okay, so they had these like interesting rhythms with the mainline melodies that kind of soared over rhythms that could be kind of jarring. I thought that was always the appeal of Helmet. Yeah, and when I asked Dan about it, you know, he seemed like he really hadn't thought about that, but he, you know, he did agree that they 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 were an influence at some point, but that's immediately what I heard when I heard that part. I mean, it's just like when you did the D Snyder episode, man. You have these things in your head and you don't know what, what they are or where they come from, but they can manifest themselves and it could be it could be years or decades later where someone goes to you just like on D's episode, like, 
well, you know that we're not going to take it is yeah. become all you faithful, right? And you're like, what? <laughs> and I'm sure you and I would both have those things too, where someone would pick out something in a song and be like, oh, you know, that's this, right? And you're going to be like, oh my God, I'm sure that would happen to every songwriter ever. But it's funny that you picked out the helmet thing. Yeah, no. And, and you know, sometimes you got to be careful when you say this part sounds like that. It's like, wait, wait, we didn't try to rip them off. Right. That's not what I mean when I say something like that. It's just, you know, we, we all have influences and they, and they creep into the music. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's all I meant too. I didn't mean it was a complete ripoff no, or anything. But not yeah, at all. it's just just an inspiration for a part, which is really cool. You guys had a lot of mutual connections and stuff, Howard Benson being one of them. Yes. Then you guys uh, kind of whatever broed out on Bang Tango, which Bang Tango, back in the day when Punchline did a tour with Less and Jake, Bang Tango was on some of those dates. Tommy Tutone was on some of those dates. I had no idea who Bang Tango was <laughs> at all, but it, it was funny to hear you guys geek out on him. Not not too many people did. And you know, and to your point earlier, you know, Crawling in the Dark, you know, you and I had, had talked about doing The Reason, which is arguably their biggest song Hooba Stinks it definitely is massive hit but we both felt there was just so much more to Crawling in the Dark the reason's a great song but uh, this was just a little there was just a little bit more there to talk about uh, case in point how I said there's just no fat here I think this is the perfect little modern rock uh, uh, pop track rock track yeah and there were a couple things that are running themes on our show one of them being that Crawling in the Dark was a song that happened really late in the recording process, like one day before they were going to go to the studio. But I think that that's the time when your mind is on like full creative mode. And that's when things might come out of you. You don't have all the distractions. You're focused on the studio. And sometimes those last minute ideas end up being hits. Case in point, Crawling in the Dark. Yeah, and how many times have we heard that on this show where it's the 11th hour? We heard it with Matt Skiba with, with the radio. You know, just went out, back yeah. to, went out back to have a smoke break and had his acoustic guitar and, and the song happens. It's it's kind of like, I, I think that also happened uh, maybe with Chad, Newfound Glory, uh, where it, yeah. it, it's the 11th hour. You already got an album in the can. You already have the songs, but uh, it, right. there's no pressure and this, this wonderful, amazing song comes out. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's also awesome. In Crawling in the Dark is an example of a song where the riff starts the song off. And when you're playing it live, the second you start playing that riff, people are like, yeah, you know, it's like something to think about having that. I know Less Than Jake has those songs that start out with guitar and people instantly know what it is. Yeah, that's that's so important. And I think, again, I always research live uh, performances of the songs we do here on the show because I, I, I love seeing those kinds of things. And every video I watch of Crawling in the Dark uh, online, when Dan starts that opening riff, the place just they just go they lose their minds and go crazy. Yeah, and one more thing in this episode that I wanted to talk about is Dan had referenced how they were, and, and you agreed with him about your own band, that you were, what do you call, bands in jeans and t-shirts, meaning you're not too worried about your, your style or anything. But Chris, I got a question for you. If you could go back to the start and be either A, a really like stylish band and like skinny ties and stuff, or B, a band in all out makeup like guar or something would you want to do that <laughs> uh if i moved up five tax brackets chris i'd probably dress in anything <laughs> okay all right yeah yeah not, not that you're any stranger to dressing up like anything yeah. but uh <laughs> yeah i uh yeah I, I never i never thought about that good question that, that's great and i got another good question for you chris what do you got there chris say i wanted a custom song from you how would i go about that uh man the king of the segways is back ladies and gentlemen i love it i love yep. it <laughs> Uh, yes, you can get a custom song from me uh, for a friend, for a loved one, for yourself. 
myself, whoever you'd like, uh, email me, chrisdemakes at gmail.com for info. I'd love to uh, to write a song for you. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, no problem. I'll always set you up and you can spike it down. It's like volleyball, except me talking to you about your custom songs. Anyway, also, I would really implore anyone who loves the show to go leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to us, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, you can even write a written review on there. Spotify added a star system. You can give us five stars on there. It helps other people find the show and helps our show continue. Absolutely. We, we appreciate all the support. And uh, can you believe this month is over? The, fir- the first month of 2022 is already gone. This is crazy. Boom, just like that. I know, I know. If you uh, haven't already, please join our supporting cast group. That's our VIP program where you get bonus episodes of the after party. And man, there's there's all kinds of cool things happening now, Chris. We got the journey, we got defeat to makes the the, the music trivia game show. It's like uh, you're, you're keeping me busy. Yeah, man, I'm keeping you busy, and we're hopefully keeping you, the listener, both entertained and educated, but also comforted. And I know as well as anybody as a avid podcast listener that a good podcast can be a very comforting and relaxing experience it's something you could depend on every week to brighten your day a little bit especially since we always release these new episodes on monday mornings which might not be your favorite time of the week so yeah we appreciate you listening at all but if you want to go the extra mile and get a lot more podcasts as well check out chrisdemakes.com absolutely and uh yeah I, I think that's about it thanks to everybody for listening and i want to thank this week's guest dan estrin from hoobastank for sitting in with us and we'll see you next week hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian MacKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.